0: So, I was scrolling through Twitter this morning, and I found this. This is a list of, you probably can't see it, but it's the most hated college basketball players of all time. Makes some sense. Grayson Allen 1, Christian Leitner 2. But then you scroll down, you have Drew Timmy at 24. Andrew, has Drew Timmy ever given you that unlikable vibe in his two years at Gonzaga?
1: I, I wouldn't say unlikable, Liam. I think... I think that has more to do with the team he's playing for than the actual person Drew Timmy is. I think that since Drew Timmy is on Gonzaga, who (laughs) recruits one and dones like nobody's business, they're actually almost outdoing Duke in recruiting right now, which is crazy to believe. Drew Timmy, he's he's a good player. He's fun to watch. I enjoyed watching him. I think he's a bit cocky, and that's probably where people get caught up all his – um reactions with the mustache and all of that stuff when he's slamming home dunks, beating people inside. But I don't know what's not to like about Drew Timmy. Personally, he's a fun player to watch. He's got post moves for days. He plays the game the right way. And I mean, if you saw any of his interviews in the NCAA tournament, I don't know how you could hate that guy other than just the fact that you're hating Gonzaga as a whole.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with you. Look, I mean... His mustache is the stuff of legend. Back in March of 21, I saw a meme that had a next to Ben Stillers character from Dodgeball, whose name is escaping me at the moment, but that's besides the point. I mean, yeah, he's a great player. I mean, he is Gonzaga basketball right now. And especially with Chet Holmgun likely out the door. I don't know about his draft status. I mean, I think he could fall late first round, but who knows? Alright, enough of the enough Drew Timmy Talk. We have a very special guest on today. The third member of the Syracuse University class of 25 to grace our airwaves, Mr. Andrew Saliver. Good
1: to be here, man. All right,
0: we've got a lot to get into, especially since we were off last week. So let's not waste any time. And we begin in the land of college sports, where President Mark Emmert has announced that this upcoming school year will be his last. The NCAA still searching for a replacement as we speak. But, Andrew, the first thing I sort of thought to myself when I saw these news was the devil is about to depart.
1: Um, I don't know if I would go that far, Liam. Um, I, I think a lot of people are caught up in the news that Emmert's leaving the NCAA and think that this is going to change a whole lot. Obviously, he's not quite out the door yet. It's going to be – he leaves June of 2023, I think, unless they yep. find a replacement yep. for him before then. So I wouldn't so much go as far as saying the devil's out the door because, I a, first of all, I don't know. The NCAA has a horrible job of trying to find a replacement for Emmert I don't think that's a job that really anybody wants at the moment. I don't really – I I honestly feel bad for Emmert a little bit in the sense that he takes all the public criticism that the the NCAA um, for all of their mistakes. I don't think they're all Emmert's fault. I think Emmert certainly wasn't the best at his job. I don't think anybody would tell you that he did a fantastic job with the NCAA. He also had a hard job to do. I mean, the amount that has changed in his 12-year tenure with the NCAA is crazy, and especially in the last couple of years. But I wouldn't say the devil's out the door. I think that a lot of the blame goes on to Emmert because he's a figurehead of the NCAA as a whole, whereas it's just the general body of the NCAA and all of their rules and decisions as a group that really screw up college athletics at the moment.
0: I 100% get where you're coming from. I really do, because... And like you said, Emmer is the big brains behind the operation. And obviously a lot of the criticism is going to go towards him. That being said, when you're the big brains of the operation, it's on you to take a leadership role. And last March, he failed to do that when he swept the horrible, horrible disparities between the men's and women's bubbles under the rug like, oh, we didn't see this happening. It came out of nowhere. That's ridiculous. I mean, it's... I mean, I guess it's kind of water under the bridge for the most part at this point, but I don't see it that way. And, I mean, that response forever left a dark cloud over him from my perspective. But, I mean, yeah, it's a a job that is not enviable, especially when you're taking over someone who is as publicly maligned as Mark Emmert is. You're thinking to yourself, oh, I don't want to be in that situation where I'm getting criticized week after week, day after day, it's an unenviable spot for sure.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, Emmert certainly, from a public appearance standpoint, has not helped himself no. with um, things he's done, like you said, with the March Madness situation. This year, calling Kansas the Kansas City Jayhawks when they won March Madness. Man. I mean, it's it's almost like a... Uh, I want to say, like, an MLB situation with Commissioner Rob Manfred. Um, but I think Emmert's slightly more likable than Rob Manfred. What do you think, Leo?
0: Ooh. It's interesting you bring this up considering what we're talking about next. Mark Emmert and Rob Manfred. Oh, you put me on the spot there, my friend. And I have to pick who's more likable. Believe it or not, I'm going to go with Rob Manfred.
1: I would not agree with you there. I think, I think Manfred just. I think they both have certainly a lot of blame put on them, and they haven't helped their case with things they've done and said. But I think more of the blame in the MLB rightly falls on Rob Manfred as opposed to the NCAA. Like going back to that March Madness, I don't want to call it like a scandal, but like when they're putting just 10 dumbbells in the women's March Madness bubble walk uh, uh, weight room, and then you see the men's. Like, is that at all Emmert's fault? I think it is.
0: I think a large portion of it does fall on him, though. But And it's a tough question weighing Emmert and Manfred, because neither of them are likable. Neither of them have really done a good job, in my opinion, which I feel like is a good transition into the next topic. Last week, the infamous Yankees' sign-stealing letter was released, and I think Jeff Passon said it best, Andrew. It was a nothing burger. It confirmed that what we knew they were doing in 2015, 2016, and then they were doing the, oh, so horrible thing of using the replay room during game, which surely every team doesn't have access to.
1: Right, I think... um... I think the Yankees letter is not super shocking. I don't think anybody really who is around baseball a lot was surprised to hear this. I don't think there was any groundbreaking news in that letter. I think it was just what everybody knew was going on. And now it's just put in paper and released to the public. I think my one thing is like, if you're the Yankees, why are you calling out the Boston Red Sox for doing it if you know <laughs> you're doing it yourself? Like, obviously, if you call out the Boston Red Sox, the MLB is going to be more on top of this, and they're going to find out that you're doing it too. Like, there's the, the likelihood of you calling out the Red Sox, the Red Sox getting in trouble for it, and the MLB not finding out that you're doing the exact same stuff. It's just, like, what were they thinking?
0: Yeah, and I mean, I've, I've seen a lot of reactions to this. I mean, Yankee fans are just like, eh, whatever. I'm like, eh, whatever. The majority of baseball is like, eh, whatever. The only really salty people that I'm seeing as a result of this are a few Ashton. people down south in the space city known as Houston, Texas, because every Astros fan I've talked to since this has been steaming because they're mad that it's not a bigger deal. They wanted the attention off of them. They wanted a scapegoat in the New York Yankees, especially since the Yankees have been the ones really hammering down on them. And then they get absolutely nothing. So, and it just confirms that all 30 teams in Major League Baseball are cheating. One team took it a step above the rest, and they're going to be hearing the backlash from it as long as Altuve, Bregman, and Gurriel are still wearing those uniforms. Because believe it or not, they're the only three guys left from that team.
1: Well, I think certainly that the Astros took it a step farther than everybody else. I think the other thing that kind of hurt the Red Sox and the Astros is that once the MLB was on top of it, because the Yankees made them aware, they kept doing it, whereas the Yankees sort of tailed off and stopped it. And I think that's why the punishment was worse for the Red Sox and more importantly the Astros. And that's why the hate is more important. I think also those teams won World Series as yeah. opposed to the Yankees who haven't won in a hot second. Um, but I think it's an interesting situation. And <coughs> Sorry, I think it's the exact oh, yeah. same thing. I think it's the exact same thing where, like, when the NCAA implemented NIL, they didn't do anything to, like, prohibit what's going on right now where – boosters are like creating nil funds and paying players three million dollars to come to different schools it's the same thing with the mlb they implemented all of these replay rooms right next to the dugout and acted as if oh we don't need to worry about teams using that to steal signs i mean they were just oblivious to the fact that clearly something was going to happen when they did that like mlb like the mlb has a history of cheating
0: a century is a century-old history of cheating at that.
1: Uh, Yes, the league is literally based on cheating. Like, people are consistently trying to find a way to one-up their competition in the MLB, and 80% of that is cheating, whether they like it or not. It's just that the MLB was just neglected the fact that teams were obviously going to use the replay room for the wrong reasons.
0: Couldn't have said it better myself, and it's... A fickle subject, for sure, with sticky stuff, replay rooms. Cheating in baseball always has been a thing, and oh, you can even throw in PEDs there. And, to be frank, I don't see it going away anytime soon. For as long as we're alive, I think cheating will still be a big part of Major League Baseball.
1: Well, it's just continue... It continues to evolve. Exactly, like, exactly. What's the new... What's the new way we can... Be one step ahead of our competition, have an advantage. How can we figure that out? Used to be PEDs. Obviously, the league's cut down on that. But it's it's like action-reaction. Every time that we find a way to get better, the league's going to cut it back because we had an unfair advantage. Except this time, it's like the MLB was like, oh, here's a platter with a way to cheat in our league. Why don't you just take advantage of it for five years? And then when somebody complains, then we'll actually do something about it.
0: handed the keys to the car on a silver platter okay
1: it's i mean it's just like the nil exactly we're going to implement these rules we're not going to do anything to stop you from doing anything sketchy and then we're just going to wait for two years until people who clearly are always going to try and scheme the system are going to do bad stuff and then we'll be like oh let's take a step back like these organizations like the ncaa the mlb when you're implementing new rules like that, whether it be replay, NIL, whatever, you have to think about the consequences and put into place stuff that can prohibit that. Like, how, like, I think most normal people, when they heard, oh, there's going to be a replay room with live video cameras streaming right into the, like, ne- a room next to the dugout, I think most normal people would think, aren't people going to use that to cheat? Yeah. Like, like, it's pretty crazy to me that the MLB, like, apparently either that didn't once cross their mind, or they were like, "Ah, eh, screw it. Let a team cheat, and until then, we won't have to worry about it. They're
0: cocky. They're cocky is all I can say. Okay, so this NFL offseason just doesn't want to die. Since the most recent episode, you had an unexpected draft pick at number one with Trayvon Walker, and it's really like, This really came out of nowhere, too. We didn't have a quarterback drafted until number 20. A.J. Brown got traded to the Eagles, but the biggest news of all, DeAndre Hopkins, the top-notch wide receiver for the Arizona Cardinals, out six games due to alleged PED usage. Now we know why the Cardinals traded for Hollywood Brown on draft night, but, Andrew, with the tensions developed between Kyler Murray and the Cardinals this offseason, this is a terrible sign.
1: Yeah, it's not a good book. I don't think this helps the Cardinals' cause, especially after what went down last year. I mean, a fantastic regular season where the front office puts together a really solid team with a lot of talent, and then you just go into the playoffs and lay an egg. That's what they do. get blown out. I'm not sure that this Cardinals team has what it takes to succeed past maybe the first or second round of the playoffs because there's a lot of inexperience, first of all, with guys like Kyler Murray. And then you have your more experienced players like DeAndre Hopkins going out and using drugs and getting suspended. That's pretty inexcusable for me. And it doesn't sound like he has really any sort of fight back against this. Like I'm pretty sure it's, very obvious that he's in the wrong here. He will be suspended, and I don't know really what he was thinking. First of all, he's a good enough player that like, why are you using Peds? Exactly. Like that, I, I don't I don't really get it from the standpoint of trying to get better because he's good enough on his own. I don't think he needs that. Second of all, with all the drama that went down with the Cardinals in the off season, uh, trying not to play, pay the Uh, coaches their incentives for making the postseason because of getting blown out in the first round. Then, you know, Kyler Murray in the offseason talks of not being back with the Cardinals, a bunch of social media shenanigans per se. This just seems like a team that has all the pieces it needs to succeed, and now it's spiraling in the wrong direction.
0: Recipe for disaster is the phrase I would use when talking about the Arizona Cardinals right now. I mean, like you said, I mean, it's become a trend with Cliff Kingsbury-led teams. And this was back in college when he was at Texas Texas Tech, too. You start out the season white hot. And I believe this was a trend when Cliff Kingsbury was coaching Patrick Mahomes as well. You start out white hot. Then all of a sudden, bang, your season drops instantaneously. And it culminates in... Rather embarrassing losses. And it's for the Cardinals, it's been against the Rams two straight years. <coughs> that Week 17 game where the Rams were... I don't even remember who they started at quarterback in that game. It wasn't Jared Goff. And then they get humiliated on Wild Card weekend this year. It's embarrassing. It, it really yeah. is. And then you factor that with the Kyler Murray drama in the offseason, potentially wanting to leave. He's a top five, top ten quarterback in the league. Yeah. You can't make him happy. You're in deep trouble. And then... Now the DeAndre Hopkins thing, I mean, he's undisputedly your best offensive weapon. I mean, you lose Chase Edmonds this offseason. I don't have much faith in James Conner to be a, to be an RB1. Yes, Hollywood Brown is solid as a wide receiver too. Now you need him to be a wide receiver one. And then I don't even know who else is on that Cardinals offense. That's how insignificant those players are. When you look at the defensive side things, yeah, Baker Baker's really cool. But other than that, I guess did they do want to.
1: Right. I mean, obviously I'm interested to see so they make the move for Hollywood Brown. DeAndre Hopkins is only suspended for six games. I mean, it's not like he's out for the full season like Calvin Ridley. He huh. he I mean, this team could still be very dangerous once he returns with the prospects of DeAndre Hopkins at wide receiver one and Hollywood Brown at wide receiver two. I think James Conner can still get the job done on the ground. It's just – it it begs the question of this team will have the talent, I think, again, once DeAndre Hopkins is back, but what can they do with it? And no I, question. I for one, just don't see there being enough cohesion with this Cardinals team right now to do anything past just make the playoffs.
0: Uh, yeah, I couldn't say it any better myself. I mean, yeah, I mean, you might win a game, but other than that mm... – don't see it happening. Okay. Right. Moving on to the NBA. The Brooklyn Nets were swept out of the first round of the NBA playoffs. You know, actually, you know what? I'm gonna play a video. I'm gonna play a video real quick showing exactly how I feel about this series.
1: <coughs> I think your background right now on Zoom doesn't that we don't no even need a video. Pause the Celtics this year.
0: I'm telling you. We all remember that from the Summer Olympics when Kevin Durant was talking smack to Ime Udoka. We also all remember Bruce Brown saying, without Rob Williams, it's going to be huge. But, I mean, all four games were competitive, but it didn't feel that way. And when you have two superstars like KD and Kyrie, getting swept is almost unthinkable.
1: It is. It's pretty unimaginable, you know, big NBA fan, myself, uh, pretty noted. I don't think that anybody really saw this coming. I, I think it, it would be fair for you to say before the series, Boston might have a slight advantage here and maybe you expect Boston to win, but a sweep four zero really? I, I think it's hard it, you'd be hard for us to find even Celtics fans who would have predicted a 4-0 sweep here against the Nets. I said and it was sure, po- as,
0: I said it was possible but I didn't predict it.
1: Yep, as you said, all four games were close. I mean, not one game decided by double digits. But when you have superstars like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving how, and you get into four games, games that come down to the final quarter, how do you not win at least one of those? I think it's frankly embarrassing for the talent that that team has, that they aren't making a later run in the NBA playoffs. I don't think this is a team that ever will win an NBA championship. They just don't. The core is just, I think the NBA got so centralized around building this super team with the concept of the warriors when they had kevin durant and steph curry and clay thompson and draymond green and were going to the finals every single year i think everybody kind of forgot what it still took for them to get to that point and that was good cohesion within the team a well-coached team and that team played together for each other And it just doesn't seem like this Nets team really has that in him. It it seems like it's all about one-on-ones and self-centered basketball players as opposed to uniting for the common purpose of winning an NBA title.
0: Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why it's so (laughs) mind-boggling because Kevin Durant left Steph Curry a great leader and a, a selfless one at that, too. I mean, he... He was able to contain the egos of both Kevin Durant and Draymond Green throughout that Warriors dynasty, or should I say dynasty in quotes. And then you have Kyrie Irving. Where to begin with him? Where to begin with him? Left LeBron James to go be the focal point in Boston. Wet the bed entirely. Then joins up with KD in Brooklyn. I mean, you have two of the biggest. guys. I mean, we've seen Kevin Durant's activity on Twitter. We saw his feud with Charles Barkley last week. It's, I don't want to say unhealthy, but it's unhealthy. And then, talking about this series as a whole, I mean, you can't win one game. You can't even win the game six with Scott Foster, the referee notorious for extending series. How? I mean,
1: it's. I think it's just like when Dr- uh, when Draymond Green and Katie and Steph and Clay were all on the Warriors. You rarely ever heard drama out of that team. Exactly. And and now, and it was all about winning a championship there. There was never a I need to get my ring and I want to be the best player on this court and I need to put up 40 tonight. Whereas you look at this Nets squad, and sure they have the plenty of talent to win a title, but Ben Simmons, what a hot mess. <laughs> Kyrie Irving, what a hot mess. Kevin Durant, I don't want to say a hot mess, but still a mess. I mean, this this team, it seems like every week you're getting new breaking news out of the Brooklyn Nets where they just can't get along. It's like, what what is going wrong here? You put three superstars together in Brooklyn, and it's like they can't even play a full season together. This team is in shambles, and it's frankly embarrassing for all three of those big stars in Brooklyn because it, for me, simply shows that they don't care enough about the basketball and the team, and it's all about them.
0: And and a lot of Nets fans, before we move on, have been coming down hard on Steve Nash, of all people, their head coach. And I understand why, if we're going to continue with the Warriors reference, Steve Kerr was a cool, calm, collected coach and knew how to get his guys under control. That's what Steve Nash hasn't really solved yet. And that's why Nets fans are currently calling for his head. They're not going to fire him. But a lot of people are wanting him fired. And then... I mean, yeah. Hot mess for to describe those two guys is, I think, a perfect analogy. And... Alright. With that... You mentioned a hot mess. What other team could we describe a hot mess? Well, that would be the Utah Jazz. Loses... Lose to Dallas in six. Gilbert apparently took the either him or me route saying trade one of them, either him or Donovan Mitchell. Andrew, at this point, I don't think it's far-fetched that Danny Ainge decides to trade both of them.
1: Um, I wouldn't say it's far-fetched. Do I think it's going to happen? Probably not. But I think... I mean, it's just, I don't, this team doesn't have what it takes to win. No. And it's like the Nets. They don't have what it takes to win right now. And I think the problem with Utah is a little more talent-centric than it is with Brooklyn. I mean, Brooklyn has all the talent you could ask for, and their problems are currently within the team. I think Utah certainly has some of those problems within the team, I think you could also make the argument that this team simply doesn't have enough talent to win an NBA title. But I do think that at least one of those guys, Gobert or Mitchell, will likely be gone in this offseason. I I would be pretty shocked if it was both of them because at that point you're trading away your whole talent core and basically doing a rebuild in Utah. But I do think that there are some changes that need to be made if Utah wants to be contending for a title because they finished fifth in the Western Conference. Sure, they made the playoffs, but they didn't really seem like a match for the four seed, the Mavericks. I can't imagine if you've tried to put them up against the Warriors or the Grizzlies or the Suns. I don't think they're just at that level yet. And based on the conversations with Gobert and Mitchell, they're not going to get to that level because they can't keep those two happy together.
0: I think there's one caveat to them not trading one of them. And that caveat is an albeit really hard one to swallow, but, and it's a very specific one too. Mike Conley's getting old. He doesn't have the old step he had back in the grit and grind days. So you reinvigorate that spot with some youth, at a young, up-and-coming third scorer by the name of Jalen Brunson with the Dallas Mavericks. Now, I think it's unlikely that Brunson takes off, especially considering the Mavs' success this year. But you plug him in, you have new life. If you can't do Please. that, if you can't do that, you got to ship off at least one of them. Perhaps even you do ship off at least one of them because, I mean, Gobert doesn't have Mitchell's star potential offensively. However, sure. the same can be true for Mitchell defensively. I'm
1: not sure that. Even if you brought in a young talent like a Brunson or somebody else, I'm still not sure that fixes their problem. I think there's still going to be drama at the center of this team as long as you have Gobert and Mitchell in there together.
0: I see where you're coming from. I really do. (coughs) And things have been awkward between them for the past 26 months when Rudy Gobert thought touching the mic after a press conference would put him in a good light. We all know how that turned out. And yes, and we know I know Danny Ainge is a phenomenal front office guy, or has been. I mean, look what he did with the Celtics. I mean, these these guys are products of Danny Ainge, with the exception of Al Horford, Derek White. He, whatever he'll do, he'll do the right thing. Whatever he'll do, he'll do the right thing. I mean, Brooklyn is still feeling the effects of that KG Pierce trade from. Gosh, almost ten years ago.
1: Yeah, I think that, that. I think that the situation is fixable. I'm not quite sure what the fix is right now. Um, but like, I think that they. <clears throat> I mean, they were a five seed this year. You can't really complain too much about being a five no, seed. What? I mean, it's it was still a good season. Don't get me wrong and the team is set up for some success in the future still. So I think <clears throat> the problems in Utah are fixable as opposed to Brooklyn where I don't think they are at the moment.
0: The only thing is I just
1: don't Utah has I just don't really know what it is.
0: Utah has been in the playoffs six straight years. They have not gotten past the second round yet. Yep. Their I'm, situation almost mirrors that of Philadelphia expect, except there hasn't been nearly as much change yeah, and Salt Lake just, has their heads in the city of brotherly love,
1: but I think that's just where the talent part comes in, and that this team still is one piece away from actually contending for a title. Do you think
0: Philadelphia is contending for a title right now?
1: Philadelphia, yeah, I do. I think okay. that last night kind of proved it when they, when Joel Embiid came back and they won.
0: Okay, All right. so
1: I think if you want to talk MVP, I think that really. That game last night and potentially the rest of the season could, I mean, pro- potentially the rest of the series could really prove the point that Embiid deserves the MVP. But the they only thing, the this, only
0: thing is, votes are already in. So what he does from now on—they on... they
1: are. I'm not saying what will happen with the MVP votes. I'm just saying that whatever happens, the rest of this series could prove that he deserves the MVP. Um, because his team was nothing without him against yeah. the Heat. They were no match for that Miami team. And yeah. then he comes back, and the first game back, they win by 20. Now, I'm not saying that this team – I'm not coming out here right now and predicting that 76ers win this series. But if they do, I think that that proves that Embiid deserves the MVP title.
0: Okay, uh, we'll touch on that momentarily. But, I mean, and I saw Kendrick Perkins was going berserk over, like, He's the MVP of this league. I don't know. I don't know if my if my impersonation is really on point, but you get the point I'm trying to make. I mean, I and mean, yeah, I'm always gonna bash on Joel because it's in my blood. It's in my blood. Considering I live an hour south of TD Garden, but I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to find a more dominant big man in the paint. I mean, this kid was drawing yeah. comparisons to Hakeem Olajuwon, which is a little extreme, but still.
1: it's hard to stop him in the NBA at the moment. And I think if he comes back to win this series, it's going to be an impressive feat because it's not like you're facing a bum team anymore. Like this this Heat team is the number one seed for a reason. This team can easily win a title this year. And so I think that, you put Embiid in a down two oh hole, send him back to his team, and he can win four of the next five four or five. Games. Four or five. That's incredibly impressive. And I don't know if anyone would tell you that then this team can't win a title. If if with Embiid this 76ers team comes back from down two oh, wins four of five. I think they have what it takes to win a title. Am I saying they will? No, not necessarily. But I don't think there's anybody that's going to go out there and just dominate them in a series. I think they have what it takes to win.
0: If they do are able to come back, they're right in the thick of it. I'll give them that. All right. Oh, yeah. Moving on, before we get into the ongoing series, the Minnesota Timberwolves developed a really bad reputation this playoffs. Well, first of all, Patrick Beverly's loud mouth didn't do them any favors, but... I believe they blew three had three games where they blew double-digit leads, ended up losing all three of them, including one on a ridiculous... I mean I don't necessarily know if it's on the Timberwolves, their losses. I'm going to give more credit to John Morant than I am blamed to Memphis or to Minnesota.
1: Yes and no. I think <clears throat> I mean, certainly Memphis is a talented team but I, I don't know how much credit you can give to one specific player in John Morant, or even one specific team in Memphis when the Timberwolves had two leads that seemed like insurmountable. I think that, I mean, if, if you put any good team in that situation, they should be able to close those games out They should be able to close those games out, even if they're playing, like, the Warriors of the KD dynasty. Right. Like, I don't care who you're playing. If you're an NBA playoff team with those leads, you should be winning those games. So I think it was a pretty embarrassing series loss in general for uh, the Timberwolves losing 4-2. And really, I think everybody knows they probably were – just as good of a team as the Grizzlies absolutely. And blue, blue leads, And they're to blame for that. You cannot complain if you're Minnesota. You got, I mean, in a stacked Western Conference, you got to play the Memphis Grizzlies. <laughs> you didn't have to play the Suns. You didn't have to play the Warriors. I think of those top three teams in the Western Conference, maybe even the top four, if you gave the Timberwolves their pick on who they wanted to play, you'd say the Grizzlies and they had the opportunities and blew them. So I don't feel bad for the Timberwolves. I think that's a hundred percent on them. I don't think the Grizzlies deserve much credit, even though they're certainly a good team. The Grizzlies put the Timberwolves in a situation where the T-Wolves should have won the series and didn't.
0: Okay. Patrick Beverly (laughs) on May 4th. This was the day after Jaws' 47 point game. Put forty-seven piece, uh, hand on head like pondering what's wrong emoji, didn't happen in our series. Just saying, hashtag facts. Oh my! God. I mean, this guy needs to shut his mouth. I mean, yeah. I mean, it didn't really bother me up until today, but it's, or up until a few days ago, but it's, it's past the point of no return. Patrick Beverly has been running his mouth in the National Basketball Association ever since his days in Houston when he would get into scraps with Russell Westbrook night in and night out in the first round of the 2017 playoffs. And he's developed this bulldog mentality. I mean, like, he's a tough, scrappy player. He's like a poor man's Marcus Smart. And, you know, just to come out and say those things, like, after losing a series to that same team, it just... I don't, it doesn't put him in a good light at all. I mean, no. he's he's digging his own grave at this point.
1: Well, I think he, everybody knows what to, they're going to get out of Patrick Beverly at this point. He's at back when in like 2017, 2018, it was just like, oh, this is what he's going to be like for this series, maybe. Now, I mean, he's proven that that's kind of the mentality taken on has a lot of cockiness and i don't really understand it because it's it's not like he's one of the best players in the nba like it's one thing if lebron james in his prime said all this smack talk and did all this trash talking but you're patrick beverly you're not kd you're not james harden you're not lebron james you're not steph curry I just don't really understand it because he's painted a negative light around himself and tarnished his reputation, in my opinion, because of this trash talk. And he doesn't know when to shut his mouth. And it's all not for a good cause because he's not a top basketball player in the NBA.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the <laughs> reputation tarnishing honestly started back after they've won that playing game where the Clippers when. He tossed the ball up in the air, goes running around like it was, like Jalen Suggs did after he hit that buzzer beater against UCLA, taking his shirt off, going absolutely bonkers. I mean, at the time, I was sympathetic because the Minnesota Timberwolves have had absolutely no playoff success over the in our lifetimes. But looking back on it now and not being able to back it up by beating Memphis, come
1: on. Well, at this point, it's just like he's accepted that that's his role, that's his mentality, and he doesn't really care what other people think of him, but it's kind of gotten ridiculous, and he's just uh, – I think he'll never go down in NBA history as, like, a great player or a respected player even, frankly, because he's decided that, oh, I'm going to be this cocky, arrogant Decent average basketball player who talks his head like uh, talks out of his head like he's crazy.
0: Indeed. All right, moving on. Let's quickly go through the Eastern Conference. Saturday morning, as of right now, Boston and Milwaukee deadlocked. Miami up on Philly two to one. All right, I'm gonna make I'm gonna keep this on the shorter side. It's the Boston Milwaukee series is fascinating because the Celtics lose game one with Marcus Smart. Then they blow out game two without Marcus Smart. They're gonna have him back for game three in Milwaukee, which but I mean, I'm not necessarily pin that on Smart because you're not gonna score 89 points every single game. Yep. But Milwaukee not having Middleton looks like it could determine this series.
1: It could. I think that <clears throat> this is a series that I expect to go six or seven games. I think everybody else does too. They're two very evenly matched teams, in my opinion. And obviously, interesting to see with Marcus Smart versus without Marcus Smart. Celtics seemingly played better without him for some reason. Um, I don't really think that's to say that the Celtics are better without Marcus Smart. I think everybody knows that they're better with him. But I think it's going to be an interesting series to see kind of how the Celtics can handle the pressure because you're facing Giannis and the Bucks, NBA champions. And I think there is starting to be a mounting pressure in Boston that this is the time that you have to win. Yeah, this- not necessarily this year, but They have the core group now built up in Boston. And it's like these next three years, this is when you need to start winning or else Boston might never get it done with this group. And so I'm interested to see how the Celtics team handles the pressure. And you know all too
0: well, just how uh, Boston fans are going to get if things don't go well. I mean, like, We're already fed up enough with the Red Sox. We're already fed up with the Patriots having a horrible NFL draft. The Bruins, I mean, I'll talk about them in a minute, but it's now. like The entire city is putting their faith in the Celtics to lead them back to the promised land for a city that hasn't won a championship in three whole years, which doesn't seem like a lot. For Boston, it's a lot. I'm just going to throw that
1: what? People forget Atlanta's won a title more recently than Boston. People do
0: forget Atlanta's won a title more recently than Boston. Uh, Atlanta's, won, Atlanta's technically won two because they have the Bulldogs, too. Well, yeah, not
1: yeah. really. I, mean, I, I mean, know it's Georgia's, in Athens, but Georgia's the entire state. an hour and a half away from Atlanta. But, the, sure, the state of Georgia has won two national championships <laughs> in the last year.
0: Yes. All right. In the other Eastern Conference series, we touched on Embiid earlier. I mean, yeah, I mean... They're back in it, but game four tomorrow, You, if Philly wins tomorrow, then I will take their chances seriously.
1: Yeah, I think that they tomorrow's another must-win for the 76ers. And if they get this series back to 2-2, I think it's a decent shot that Philly wins this series. But without Embiid going down 2-0, they put themselves kind of behind the eight ball, and now – We're getting to find out if Joel Embiid is that superstar who can save Philadelphia and send them to the next round. I personally would not be shocked if he can. I think last night's performance showed that this 76ers team with Joel Embiid is probably slightly better than the Heat. And I'm just not sure that they're going to be able to get it done simply because of that two-game advantage that he got off to without him deep playing.
0: Do it in Miami. Do it in Miami. That's what I need to see. All right, out west, Phoenix up 2-1 on Dallas, the Warriors and Grizzlies tied. We'll start with Phoenix-Dallas. I mean, boy, did they look good last night. I mean, and it was granted needed because no team has ever come back from a 3-0 deficit, but Dallas wins game three, 103-94, Jalen Brunson, the guy we were harping on earlier, has 28. Chris Ball held to 12. Booker held to 18. No Phoenix starter top 20.
1: Nope. I think it was an impressive performance from the Mavs on both sides of the ball. I think that it's going to take a lot for Dallas to win this series. I don't think they have it in them. They need to put up multiple performances like they did last night. And, frankly, I don't see that happening. This Suns team, on paper, should win in five or six games, and that's my expectation. But, obviously, we saw last night that the Mavericks have the talent, and if they put piece it all together, they can contend with the Suns and make this a close series.
0: I agree, and crazier things have happened. I mean, oh, yeah, the odds are stacked against them, but if they win tomorrow, they're right back in it. And... Well,
1: in this in this day and age in the NBA, it's gotten to the point where it's a little more balanced. Like, back in the day when you had <coughs> LeBron on the Cavs and the Warriors dynasty or the Heat dynasty, it seemed like everybody knew what was going to happen.
0: Yeah. And, and that's... Like,
1: you could put up a two or a three or a four seat against some of those teams, and it's like, do they really even have a shot still that's cr- I think we it's a it's a much better time in the NBA right now in that even the one seeds are still maybe not in the first round against eight seeds or nine seeds or whatever with this plan stuff but as soon as they get to the second round they're having to sweat to make it through and all all series you can kind of see either team winning at this That's point. That's the
0: crazy thing is that I can see any of the eight teams currently oh, yeah. still standing, making a run at the entire thing. Golden State, Memphis. I mean, Steph and Ja may very well be 1-2 on the point guard spectrum right now. Oh, so yeah. it's going to be a gonna fascinating, be another fascinating series. series it's going to be fascinating. And
1: it's, and it's one that... At the beginning of the season, if I told you Warriors, Grizzlies, you're gonna say, "Oh, the Warriors have it locked up." With but that, that last game where the Grizzlies won, I mean, I think it proved that Memphis has what it takes to compete with Steph Curry and the Mighty Warriors, and it's not far fetched to see this series going seven games as well. Not I don't think there's, I don't think there's one series right now. That I tell you, this team wins in five, and you're like, "Oh yeah, I think the expectation at this point is six or seven games in all of these series because of the talent spread spread in the NBA, and I think it's much better for the league right now oh, than it was several years ago. And it's sort of where you're seeing six to eight teams who can contend for a title as opposed to two or three.
0: And it really started last season with the whole parody thing. Wait. Like, and it's it's fantastic for the NBA. It's something we honestly haven't seen since, like, 03 to 06. Like, after the Kobe Shaq Lakers, before the Celtics Big 3, and Kobe's Lakers teams with Pau Gasol. For sure. All right. We're going to hit on the NHL briefly. Starting out east, Carolina leads Boston 2-1. Toronto leads Tampa 2-1. Then the other two series, Florida-Washington and the Rangers and the Pens are tied at one game apiece. We'll start with the Bruins because what else would we start with? I mean, their win last night, they looked like an entirely different hockey team than what we saw in games 1 and 2. In games 1 and 2, you had an anemic power play, undisciplined as well. Last night was different. Now you're right back in it. And if you win Sunday, it's still a best best of three.
1: Oh, yeah. I think they – in Carolina, people really started to doubt this Boston Bruins team. Is it the Bruins of old? Is this team too old? Is the talent really there anymore? Or are they just going to pack it up and say, we'll see you next year and let Carolina walk on through? I think last night really proved that this Bruins team is still not a team that you want to mess with and they still have plenty of talent. And this is a team that can knock off the Carolina hurricanes. I would not be surprised to see it, especially given that performance last night, Boston is a team that you never want to count out in, in the playoffs in the NHL. And I think it speaks to a larger point this year in the NHL. It's a really fun playoffs setup for me in the fact that it's, like, kind of split 50-50 on new blood and old blood, sort of. Um, And you've got some teams like the Lightning and the Rangers and the Penguins and the Caps and the Bruins, who have all been there before. They've been there for numerous years in the past decade, and they've been contending for titles for 10 years now. And then you have teams like the Panthers and the Avalanche, and you could even toss the Maple Leafs in there, the Hurricanes. It's teams like that who are kind of the new blood of hockey with all these new superstars, and it's really fun to watch some of these matchups that are playing out right
0: now. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I'll say about – one more thing I'll say about Boston is that this could be the last ride Mm because Rask – Chara, Krug, and Krejci are already gone. Bergeron's a free agent after this season. Marchand's not getting any younger, and I know you've still got Pasta, McAvoy, Lindholm, Taylor Hall in years to come, but this could be the last chance. So they got to yeah, really. This is really the they end need of the core. They need to pick it up. This the, still,
1: the 2010 decade core that took the Bruins to a title back in what was 2013? 2011.
0: Think. They made two other Cup finals.
1: Yeah, I, I, this is the core, and it's the end of that core, Whereas Zdeno Char is gone, as you said, Bergeron, Tuukka Rask, and it was Tim Thomas before him. And this, this was a core Boston Bruins squad that you thought probably could have won two or three cups. Absolutely could, absolutely could and have. Absolutely could have. And this is kind of the turning of the page here, one last chance with some of these old guys before it's kind of, The Bruins need to reset. And I think they proved last night that they still have the talent and the ability to compete for a title. We'll just see if they can get past the Hurricanes, who are a really, really solid squad.
0: All right, elsewhere in the East real quick, Toronto, Tampa. I mean, your 2-1 lead is cute, but if Toronto gets the third win, I'm not buying any stock in them until they pick up a fourth win because that's what they haven't been able to do. For years and years and years, it's the same old pattern with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Let's see it again. And wouldn't it be something if your first playoff win in forever was knocking off the two-time defending champs? Oh, baby. And then Florida-Washington, this series is hinged upon one thing and one thing only. And that is the play of Sergei Bobrovsky. He wilted in net against Tampa last year. You're playing against a much less talented team in the Washington Capitals. Let's see it, Florida. Another team with a poor history in the playoffs. And then the Rangers and the Penguins. This is the definition of young blood versus new blood because you've got these Igor Shesterkin, Breadman, Chris Kreider, Cacos with the Rangers. Then you've got the old guys Malkin, Crosby, Latang with Pittsburgh. And oh, Pittsburgh's yeah. goalie situation is messed up, by the way. No Jari, no DeSmith. Their backup out for the series. So I mean, I think the young bloods take it because Pittsburgh's goalie situation isn't exactly fresh.
1: Wow. Um, I I don't know. I think this Penguins team and Sidney Crosby, and all those guys, it's hard to say that, oh, this Rangers team with a lot less experience than them is going to go and win in a series that's tied 1-1 right now. Just because of the goalie play in Pittsburgh, I think the Penguins are still a team to be feared in the playoffs. And I they still are. think Pittsburgh gets it done. But I do think in those other series, Panthers, Capitals, uh, I the Panthers are a really good team, obviously. But I don't think that's a Panthers team that's contending for a cup this year. Because I think they're too inexperienced and going to struggle to even beat the Capitals, in my opinion. I think that series goes six or seven. or um, I think that the Caps, I don't want to say the Capitals win it, but I don't think the Panthers make it past maybe just this round because I think there's other teams in this the NHL playoffs that just have more experience. And right. I think um, that all around in the NHL, experience is hard to bet against, and that's why I think this is such an interesting playoff scenario with – the experience standpoint, same with Is just like, can these new teams that haven't been here before with a lot of young guys compete with the Sidney Crosby's and the Ovechkins of the world. Right. And I'm hesitant to say that they can as of right now. Wow.
0: Andrew Selver coming in hot. All right, let's touch on the Western Conference. Minnesota up 2-1 on St. Louis. Edmonton up 2-1 on the Kings. Colorado leads Nashville 2-0. Excuse me, 2-0. And then Calgary and Dallas tied at 1. All right. Let's start with Minnesota. St. Louis. This is another one of those young versus old type matchups because you have a young, hungry team in the wild. I mean, they're they're good. They're hard-hitting, too. And then St. Louis, you're trying to resurrect the, the 2019 glory days. I mean, Tarasenko, I mean... I'm not even sure he wants to be there anymore. O'Reilly's not getting any younger. Bennington has never been the same Bennington we saw since that cup run, too. So it's a big series for St. Louis. They've lost in the first round every year since that cup run. It looks like it could be three in a row. Edmonton? I think it
1: will be, I think oh, go it ahead. Will be three in a row there because I don't I don't think this Blues team has the talent or the ability to win this series. I think Minnesota is a team that wins this series maybe in five if not six games just because the Blues playoff run to the Stanley Cup a couple years ago felt I don't want to say lucky but felt like a one-year thing yeah
0: too good to be true almost
1: it it doesn't it doesn't seem repeatable from St. Louis anymore and I just don't think this is a team that makes it past this round
0: it felt too good to be true almost well with Bennington and then you knock out the big dog, Boston, in Game 7 at TD Garden. Alright. Edmonton, LA. I'm actually going to pair that with Colorado and Nashville. Because Edmonton and Colorado are two teams that have been in the playoffs year in and year out. And have a lot of star power. The only difference between their opponents are Nashville's old. They're, they've been done. The Kings are like a year or two ahead of their scheduled rebuild. That being said, I think Edmonton and Colorado both take these series handily. But... It's a good sign for the Kings, like, making it to this point. Nashville, I mean, why haven't you started your tank sooner?
1: Right. I think Nashville is kind of caught in that middle land of rebuilding the team and still making it to the playoffs. To be completely honest, Nashville doesn't have the speed to keep up with the average. No, they you don't. They, they don't have what it takes. I mean, they, they – McKinnon like almost scored a goal because he was five steps behind the Nashville defender. And then in the span of from, you know, middle ice to the blue line, he gains those five steps on the defender and skates right past him in on goal. I mean, Nashville's just too old and too slow to compete with this Avalanche team. Whereas the Kings. <clears throat> just aren't experienced enough at the moment. So I think you're right in the fact that Edmonton and um, Colorado win these two series. And I don't think it's really close. But I, the Kings and the Predators are two teams that are in completely different sides of the story right now. Absolutely. <clears throat>
0: and real quick, Calgary-Dallas. Again, another series that feels like young blood versus old blood. Mm-hmm. Dallas coming off the heels of a cup run two years ago. Calgary up and gunning. Two teams I could potentially see win a cup. Neither of them will, though.
1: No, neither of them will. I think you could see the Stars maybe winning this series right now, whereas Calgary in a year or two is competing for a title. But... I think it's an interesting series. I think Dallas, I would say right now Dallas probably wins this series. But it's a pretty even match between two teams. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: All right. We will wrap up today's episode. We've got six game threes that we're going to rapid fire through. Two in the NBA, four in the NHL. We start with the Boston (laughs) Celtics visiting the Milwaukee Bucks. I'll let you go first on this one.
1: I have the Celtics winning game three. Um, I think that yes. it's going yes. to be a competitive game three. Obviously, both teams know what's at stake. Uh, so, I think close game, but I still have the Celtics. I think they're slightly more talented of a team this it's year. It's going
0: to be gritty because mm-hmm. these teams haven't played since Tuesday. First of all, that layoff is ridiculous, by the way. The NBA needs mm-hmm. to get it act together mm-hmm. with, in that regard. And yeah, who's going to win it? The Celtics, because there's no other reason why, to quote that famous video. Okay, Memphis-Golden State, Game 3 in in SoCal tonight. Ah, that's not SoCal, that's the Bay Area. I've got Golden State defending home court, taking Game 3.
1: Yeah, I think you see a big performance from Steph Curry tonight. Absolutely. And a lot of people kind of <clears throat> maybe doubting him a little bit after Game 2. I think the Warriors win this one pretty handily tonight.
0: I don't know about handily, but I think they win (coughs) comfortably. Okay. Into the land of hockey. Panthers-Caps game three. I think bobrovsky to net tonight. Ovechkin goes for a hat trick. Give me the Caps.
1: Wow. I got the Panthers winning this one. Um, I don't think that the Caps have what it takes to win the series, and I think the Panthers win tonight.
0: All right uh avalanche predators i mean this one feels easy i've got colorado i think they sweep the series
1: i disagree with you i got nashville winning tonight i think
0: wait first of all are you a predators fan because they're not far from your area
1: i am um well predators fan well i don't follow the team that closely because i'm from atlanta and they're from nashville but you know when a uh, certain team called the Thrashers left uh, to go to Winnipeg, of all places. Uh, I follow the Nashville Predators a little bit and support them. But <clears throat> this is not a biased pick here. I just think that the Preds showed in game two...
0: You're right. They did go to overtime.
1: ...that they can still compete with the Avalanche in games. I don't think they are winning the series. I think that it'll probably end up four one, but I think tonight's a game that the Predators win.
0: All right. Well, Rangers Penguins game three from PNC Paints Arena in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I mean this is this is the this is really tough. I I think the penguins think take this sure. one. I think that home crowd is really gonna back them tonight. I still don't have them taking the series.
1: I agree with you on the first part of that. I think the Penguins win tonight, and I think they do win the series. I think going home to Pittsburgh, big crowd, I'm in, I'm sure, a lot of energy. The I think injuries Pittsburgh are gonna go going to go crazy tonight. Out. Oh, yeah. All
0: right, we wrap it up. Calgary at Dallas game three. I'm taking the stars. I mean, I owe my Houston quote-unquote roots tell me to hate Dallas, but – they still got a good team with the likes of Satan Satan can still play. We we know him fairly well up here.
1: Oh yeah, I agree with you though on this one. Dallas wins tonight and Dallas wins that series against the, the series.
0: I also have them winning the series. Well, Andrew Salver, it's been awesome to have you on, my man. Thanks for coming on and uh don't hesitate to come on again in the future.
1: Oh yeah, enjoyed it, Liam. Uh big time for sports right now, obviously the NHL playoffs, the NBA Cute. playoffs both going on right now and baseball's back in action. A lot to talk about. Certainly NFL draft just happened. NCAA news again. We could have gone, we could have have gone on list. and on and on. NCAA stands for no clue at all. <laughs> um, there we go. There we go. So obviously uh, a lot to talk about. Enjoyed it. Liam appreciate you having me on and Hopefully I can make it back on sometime in the future.
0: Yes, sir. For Andrew Salver, I'm Liam Griffin. Follow us on Instagram at Full Court Press Podcast and on Twitter at Full CP Podcast. That's F U L L C P Podcast. And if you want to be an Andrew Shitter, get in contact with me. We'll make it happen. We'll be back next Saturday. We'll see you then.